Welcome back to Tolkien with Friends. Today, we're excited to bring back uh, one of our favorite guests, Edis, aka Hobbit Hot Takes on TikTok. Thank you for coming back. Thank you for having me. Yeah, super excited to get into this one with you. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so for everybody who doesn't know, today we're finishing up the passing of the Grey Company because of the way the movie chopped it up um where aragorn summons the army of the dead we finish up the siege of gondor where denethor officially loses his mind and um gandalf confronts the (laughs) witch king uh and but mostly we're covering shelob's lair and the choices of master samwise and if for whatever reason you want to plop return of the king in your dvd player or fire up hbo max uh that means you'll want to start it at about an hour and 51 ish minutes and 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 then stop at like two hours and thirty two minutes in. So it's like forty minutes of movie that this section covers. So if we're following along, uh, let, let's start with Aragorn summoning the army of the dead because it it doesn't take that. It's not a very uh, complicated piece of movie. Um, so this is the army that had sworn to fight for Isildur thousands of years ago. Um, but these people had secretly worshipped Sauron at one point and decided to just sit the war out all together. So Isildur was very upset about that and cursed them to essentially never rest until they fulfilled their oath. So here we are, you know, thousands of years later, making everyone in the surrounding area feel very creeped out all the time. That's like the vibe. It's just like, um, you know, in the movie, they kind of allude to it with being like, oh, nobody... Like, you know, the creepy shots of the, the road to the dim Holt, um, and people just being like, no, nobody comes back that way. But then in the book, you also see like the people in the area on the other side of the mountain, like where it lets out, also avoid that part of the mountain range because they're like creepy stuff over there. Um, so in the movie... To accomplish this, Aragorn talks to some Pirates of the Caribbean-looking ghosts. Um, and uh, But in the book, he basically summons an empty room. Like, the book says that Aragorn turns to the whispering darkness behind and says, Let us pass and then come. I summon you to the Stone of Eric. So oh, he is... They, they're just kind of getting this creepier feelings behind them. They don't see anything. Gimli is, like, afraid and he's, you know, very, like... I can't believe I'm afraid in this cavey place. Like, normally that's my bag, but it's spoopy. Um, and it switches to Gimli's perspective and he's just talking about how like it never, because it's basically the road goes through the mountains so that, and it's like a shortcut that Aragorn is taking um, because he knows about these black ships that are coming up from the south. And he is summoning this army to help him with that. And... Um, the dead don't respond when he summons them in the inside the mountain, which I guess they don't really respond in the movie at that point either. They just do that creepy laugh, or he like goes, <laughs> you know, like you know, he pulls out his sword and stuff in the movie, and they have a whole like it's he's like, what is the line? It's like uh, the way is shut. Uh, you know, this road was built by the dead, and the dead keep it. They do that. And Aragorn pulls out his sword, and that's when they're like, oh, okay. And But he laughs and doesn't really respond, and then there's just, like, a million skulls that fall out everywhere. Um, 
in the book though you know you don't really see anything you just feel you, you feel what Gimli's feeling as far as like how it feels kind of endless and you just like there's like creepy stuff behind that you can't see but you know it's happening but Legolas can see the ghosts that are following and he says I see shapes of men and and of horses and pale banners like shreds of cloud and spears like winter thickets on a misty night and I really like this description of the dead army it really makes me think that they should have been more like a transparent gray or white in the movies um versus like the green that they go with um do you guys have any thoughts on like how the ghosts looked or like that interaction in the films i guess i guess um they do like green ghostly lights where uh things that are clearly evil like Mm -hmm. uh, like Minas Morgul is is that the one I'm thinking about yeah yeah but so, they do like the green light from there they also do it in like the dead marshes those there's like some green stuff when Frodo falls into the the water in the movie yeah P Peter's a fan of green yeah I mean, For like, sure. I guess it's it's interesting that they did something different, but you're also like, why is it different? Mm -hmm. and if that's not exactly how they were described in the in the book, I'd be interested to hear why they chose the green tint. Yeah, I've never seen any explanation of that. Like, I remember in the appendices of the movie, them talking about like how. Pirates of the like Curse of the Black Pearl had come out right before theirs, and so they were kind of sad that they had a similar design of like the zombie looking guys. Yeah, it's like super similar, um, and but they just like obviously didn't really have time to change it at that point. Um, but yeah, it, it it's funny that it's like, um, I don't know, they do look super similar. Maybe that was just the early two thousands. <laughs> ghosty vibes i don't know but yeah I, I really like the idea of them being almost like you know like legolas can only see them and almost like shadows of people rather than like sickly green i guess the trouble is that token has these great passages with this fear that you can't see and actually the same happens I in sheila's lair and if you can't see anything, it's really hard to put in a movie. Depict it. Yeah. I know. It's just like a thing. And I, and I almost think that later when in the movie they use the ghosts to really like go for it and on the Pelennor fields, you know, it just like once Aragorn gets there, the ghosts like take over the whole shebang. And I... You know, obviously that's probably easier to see, you know, rather than like a gray or a white mm. that might blend in more or look more like a storm or something. I don't know. So maybe that has something to do with it. But I do like the shreds of cloud wording mm. and spears like winter thickets on a misty night. It's nice. It's spooky. It's whimsical yeah. and spooky. <laughs> yeah. So... I mean, that's really, like, the main thing. Not a lot happens at that point with, uh, you know, the Army of the Dead. You know, there's, like, this whole thing with the Stone of Eric, but it's, like, 
who cares? Like, it's it's fine to not do that. You know, like, where, because he asks them to follow them, and then they go to the stone, which is kind of like this big round thing that was plopped there, I think, by a sealed door. Um, and everybody kind of avoids that area anyway because of the ghost. And then that's when he's like, you know, fight with me. And they're like, or like, why did you come? And they're like, to fulfill our oath so we can have peace. You know, that kind of thing. Um, so kind of unnecessary if they yeah but they do kind of say it when they come out of the mountain then he says we will fight and then you see the black ships um so they just you know kind of shorten that up but then add like a crazy amount of skulls which i'm just like who all who are these skulls from is the question (laughs) like we've established that nobody goes this way is this all of your skulls (laughs) are did somebody come this way at one point and you just like destroy where are the skulls coming from (laughs) it's all skulls um but you know peter being peter he added skulls um so after this point when we see aragorn say where you know the ships guys are like you and whose army aragorn this army go cue ghosts um the movie cuts back to Minas Tirith for a few minutes but I kind of want to like get to the Minas Tirith part at the end I, I think now we should check back in on Frodo and Sam because that's like the the meat of it you know mm-hmm. um so in the movie we have Frodo entering Shelob's lair with Gollum while Sam is trying to make his way down the stairs until he finds the limbus bread that Gollum had th- you know our, our beautiful framing scene. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, and while this makes Sam, you know, like, I, I get it. Like, Sam, it, it, it's kind of cinematic to have Sam come and, like, rescue Frodo at the end of the scene here. But, like, they go into the tunnel together. And, uh, no! It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a whole thing. It, yeah, and it's, and you'll see, we'll talk about Sam's uh, conflict once he believes Frodo to be dead, and just him lamenting the fact that he, you know, try he tries to make the decision to move on, or not move on, but like to complete the quest without Frodo, and he really is, but then he realizes the orcs see Frodo, and he is so upset because he, you know, he's like, my place was with at Frodo's side the whole time. What am I doing? And so, like, they obviously don't go into that in the movie because he leaves Frodo's side, you know. Um, but I think it is pretty key to Sam as a person. It's... I was... I was so mad because I I went to check uh, the chapter titles of the dvds today and like there's a chapter titled the choices of master samwise but where are the choices it's just it's the choice to go back up the stairs i don't know like i got yeah well okay sorry (laughs) no it's okay well let's 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 get into it so um in the movie you know we sam turns around and meanwhile we see you know frodo dealing with going into she lobs lair and like we were just talking about 
She Loves Lair, I think, has some of the best description, descriptive writing. It's so creepy and spooky, and it really sounds awful. Um, and so, in the movie, Frodo walks in, you know, he's by himself, Gollum goes ahead, and it's, like, really cluttered, there's, like, corpses and webs everywhere, um, but in the book, it's, like, a relatively clear path. It's so wide that Frodo and Sam can't hold hands and touch the sides at the same time. They try, but they, you know, they want to stay close to each other, but they're realizing that there's multiple passages off of it, and it's complete darkness. And it's, they, they do a comparison to Moria's darkness, but then in Moria, they knew it, it had, like, an airier feeling, like a more cavernous, you know, you know, they, but in here, they feel there's like the air is dead. Like there's no, like if you speak, the sound dies in your mouth, you know, like that's stuffy and like hot even. Um, so basically we learned that like the shape of this tunnel, is it's like Shelob's main tunnel, you know, like this, this is formed by her massive icky body. <laughs> um, and it's been, you know, carved out by her. Um, and so while they do occasionally, like, brush past something, which I think could be implied to be, like, a hanging corpse or something, um, I think the key features of Sea Loves Air are the impenetrable darkness, the heaviness of the air, and the horrible smell. Like, as soon as they walk up to it, like, I think they do it briefly in the movie where Frodo's like, what's that smell? And he's like, oh, orc filth. You know, Gollum tries to make an excuse for it, but, um in the book, Sam is like, whew, like, how did you go through this before? This is rank. Um, but, the, uh, they, so they're, they're starting to see, like, that there's several passages along the way, main way, and our hobbits pass a particular path. The description is so visceral, and it's like, it, it leans into that stench thing that I just said. So, it reads, at length, Frodo, groping along the left-hand wall, came suddenly to a void. Almost he fell sideways into the emptiness. Here was some opening in the rock far wider than any they had yet passed, and out of it came a reek so foul and a sense of lurking malice so intense that Frodo reeled, and at that moment Sam too lurched and fell forwards. They're like gagging and falling over themselves because this is so stanky <laughs> yeah it, it's also like there's an evil that makes it difficult for them to move past this opening it's so like full-bodied yeah it's it, and, and it is she, she love is chilling in there um in which they realize in a second and you know have to kind of get away from her and you can totally see how Gollum has like set them up you know, like later we'll learn officially how uh, when Tolkien gives us a description about Shelob and how, but also how Gollum had, you know, snuck away and basically like coordinated the whole thing with her. I don't really know how that conversation goes because we never like actually hear her talk, but um, she was like waiting for them, you know, and you know, I was double checking and like the words that Frodo says um, in Elvish are right. I did think it was funny that it's supposed to say like, it's supposed to sound like it's not coming from him, like a voice that's like calmer and like unbothered. 
it's but he definitely sounds bothered when you know he's like <laughs> when, he, when he does it um and so you know frodo has to deal with sheila by himself essentially and frodo and uh he has to cut himself out of the um uh, cobweb like the giant web that he gets stuck in he's like somehow like smack dab in the middle of it yeah. uh Sure. But in the book, you know, it's Frodo and Sam. He has kind of made it. Sheila back off with the file of Galadriel and Sting. She's kind of like, the fuck is this? You know? And she's like, don't worry, I'll go around. Um, And so Frodo and Sam have time to like cut themselves out of, to cut out away uh, with the, uh, the web with Sting. Because Sam's sword doesn't work. Only sting. Only like an elvish blade will cut that out. Um, and so they, once Frodo and Sam make their escape from the tunnel is when they're separated in the book, rather than way back on the stairs. Frodo runs the head because he's like so ready to get out of there. He's like, we're almost there. Let's go, go, go. And um, But Sam is like feeling really apprehensive. He's like, something isn't right he's and when he turns but he finally like turns to follow him he puts down the file of galadriel and which is basically what shelob was waiting for you know she makes her move gets between frodo and sam and when sam tries to catch up with frodo is when Gollum decides to reappear and so sam is the one that has to fight Gollum, not frodo which makes a lot more sense to me like especially after all of the talking we've done about the promise that Gollum has made to protect Frodo. I don't think he would have ever really been able to. I don't think. I think still he would have been held to that. You know. I, I think it makes sense in Mount Doom when he attacks him because I think everyone would probably just lose their mind that close to the fire. You know. But here, I think he's still being held by the promise, and he attacks Sam, and he's like, you know. And also they have beef anyway, so Sam has to fight Gollum. And by the time Gollum decides to run away, you know, he's not, he doesn't get killed because Sam's like, I got to deal with Frodo. Uh, But Frodo has already been stung by Shelob. Um, And, you know, um, there is a passage here before what Sam does next. Tolkien gives like a bit of backstory on Shelob which I think is interesting. It's, like, vague and also enough information, I feel like. Um, he talks about how... He, well, he calls her an evil thing in spider form, which, cool, you know. Um, he kind of implies that Shelob is from the first age. Uh, he says that she was flying from, the, like, the ruin of Beleriand, which is, like that happens at the end of the first age um so and that she's the last child of ungoliant to trouble the unhappy world and so if everyone uh can recall ungoliant is the big spider that but also an evil thing in spider form but ungoliant or she loves mama who um sucks the light out of the two trees in valinor thanks morgoth and he and you know he promises her like oh yeah you'll be able to eat as much as you want because the thing with these spider creatures are they are just hungry 
always. <laughs> and so she sucks the light out of the two trees. Um, and she tries to eat or tries to attack Melkor too because she wants to eat the Silmarils, but he doesn't let her. Um, so yeah, just just a thing to know about these spiders is they be hungry. Um, and They're Sauron, yeah, very large. And I think I'm going to talk a little bit more about how large she is in a second. Um, but Sauron knew she was there and referred to her as his cat, though she served him not. But basically, he would, like, he let her just hang out there because it worked out for him, even though she'd been there longer than him. She'd been there longer than, you know, she'd been there since before Barad-dur was built, you know, and before he probably, like, was eyeing it as his spot. Um, So, but he's like, you know what? This works. You guard this way. I'll send you prisoners sometimes or just, like, let you eat my orcs. I have plenty. Like, it's cool. Um, And she's, like... She probably doesn't even think about him. You know what I mean? She's just there. Always. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think it's interesting that he says that Gollum had worshipped her. And, you know, like we talked about, set this whole thing up for her to attack Frodo. But, like, he, like, Gollum had, like, bowed before her and stuff. Like, wow. Yeah, I I, I thought that description was really interesting. And also, there was a sentence that was something like, but her lust was not his lust. Oh, yeah. Because that... Colin wants the ring, but Sheila just wants to eat everything until she doesn't fit in the mountain. I thought that was cool. I know. The way that he put it, she only desired death for all others, like a girl boss, um, and for herself, a life alone, swollen till the mountains could no longer hold her up and the darkness could no longer contain her. I mean, it's it's a big dream. Mm-hmm. It's a big goal. <laughs> Literally. She wants it all. <laughs> yeah. She wants it all and nothing at the same time. It's very interesting. Yeah. But, you know, Shelob, you do you at, at this point. Yeah. <laughs> or nobody would tell you otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> so now we get to the choices of Master Samwise. So when Sam... Just to comment on her size one more time, because it's, I hadn't really thought about it before, but she, so large. And I feel like in the movie, she's not big enough, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so Sam in the movie is lying on his back when he stabs Shelob. And, you know, it's like, it's probably a good stab. But in the book, he's like, so he does get under her and he like slashes her belly, but and that and it mentions that that is one of her softest spots, but it's not like really a problem for her because she's she's just old and nasty. Um, the problem is the way that Shelob tries to take care of Sam. So he is able to stand fully upright while under her, like she's stand like, and that's that's crazy. Um, and he knows that she's about to squash him. And so what he does is he holds Sting up, like, fully, and then she brings all of her weight down on it. So it's, like, an even further way for it to go, and that is what really, like, messes her up because of the force that she brought down upon her own, you know, enemy, I guess. It's so cool Um, and dramatic. (laughs) I know, it's crazy. I'm like, man, she is so big. She is so freaking huge. Um, like, like, not just, like, 
around, but she's tall. You know, I mean, like, Sam and Frodo, I mean, they're less, they're less than four feet tall, but still, like. Yeah, and like, a hobbit's and a sword. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, a shorter person could definitely, like, walk under her if she's, like, fully mm. scuttling around. I just feel like I keep going like this is my arms to be a spider. You look exactly like Shelob. We get Thank it. <laughs> so I also want to eat everything. Yeah. <laughs> and and it says that she has basically never known such anguish, and that me and that's like a lot of anguish. I would think is if you've been around for like three, six, like thousands of years at that point. Um, but also, she does seem to keep to herself more or less. So I don't know. Seems like a pretty big owie. Mm. Um, and, and so that's when she's like, okay, fuck this. I am going to kill you for real this time. I'm not going to sting you to, like, eat you later. I'm going to sting you to kill you. You know, she's really pissed. Um, but then Sam uses the file of Galadriel. And he also has a thing where he says words that, like, he doesn't know where they're coming from. He speaks Elvish. and But it's when he, like, speaks um, his own thing where he's like, you know, screw you lady like when he you know puts it in his own words is when it like really lights up which i thought was interesting um and that's kind of the end of shelob in our tale but it is implied that like not really the end of shelob but shelob is like uh not a, no i'm gonna go now i'm gonna go like nurse my wounds and you know deal with that no more frodo and sam for her basically too well, much she's not dead no she, but she crawls back into a hole to nurse her wounds mm-hmm. and bother. Who knows? I mean, it's interesting because her life is clearly not tied to evil the way that, like, other things seem to be. You know, like, like all of Mordor crashes down. So maybe maybe she gets trapped in that at the end uh, of the Third Age. But she doesn't trouble us in our tale after this. But Prob's not dead. Don't know what it would take to really kill Shelob. Maybe the mountain crushing her. Maybe, you know what? I would say that's kind of reaching her dreams. (laughs) The mountain can't contain her anymore. (laughs) Careful what you wish for. I know. Uh, So here is, you know, when Sam is left with Frodo, he believes he's dead. And I feel like Sean Astin delivers those, like, it's obviously shorter, but, like, the way he delivers, like, you know, don't go Mm. where I can't follow. So good. I'm glad they kept that line. Me too. Me too. I would have been really upset if they didn't. Mm. (laughs) Because it's it's so, I mean, it's like, that is, it's an excellent line. Why would you want to cut it? And Sean delivers it so beautifully. Um, And, like, the orcs show up pretty quickly after that. And so that Sam just has to hide and we don't, and obviously they're doing that. So like, we don't see Sam take the ring. And so we're like, the audience is supposed to be like, oh no, mm. like we're captured. It's over, you know, for people that, that don't know. If you don't know, then it's probably like, oh shit, stressful. Um, but in the book, Sam is like, he has more time with Frodo and he's really at a loss 
about what to do, you know, believing that Roto is dead. I mean, it's like his first thought, though, I should note, is like kicking Gollum's ass, which I get it. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, he's like wrestling with himself about does he keep going? Does he just stay here with Frodo? You know, what would it mean if he kept going, you know, like taking the ring? That seems crazy, you know? Um, Edith, do you have any other? I'm sure that you have more thoughts on this, so I'm gonna let you take this. One. Uh, uh, oh, for fuck's sake! It's it's <laughs> it's my favorite chapter, and like sometimes if I need to feel something, I just read Sam's whole monologue scene over Frodo's body, and it's. I think it's so good the way that he shows Sam's thinking and how he. Like mm-hmm. he's slowly coming towards the conclusion that he has to take the ring, and it's it's just so good to me. And like I I guess like what they do in the films, like apart from separating Sam and Frodo, I guess like doing the spider horror sequence and having it at that, it's not like it's not bad in the movie, but mm-hmm. but because this is an amazing sequence and scene in the in the book I'm just upset that it's not in the movie because I think this is like the moment when Sam becomes the hero mm-hmm. and like it when, yeah. when they're in Shelob's lair there are moments that are inside Sam's head and inside Frodo's head and then as soon as Frodo runs ahead of Sam uh, when he sees freedom it the narrator stays with Sam from that point on Mm-hmm. until the end of the book i love it when we're in sam's head i think it's just the sweetest place to be yeah you know um and I, he really does debate with himself and it's funny because like we always think about Gollum being the one talking to himself yeah. but there is like answers and questions back and forth and it's obviously only sam you know you know, he's thinking about, like, what am I to do? Um, and another lone you know, he cried again, and now he seemed plainly to know the hard answer. See it through. Another lonely journey, and the worst. What? Me? Alone? Go to the crack of doom and all? It, what? Me? Take the ring from him? The council gave it to him. But the answer came at once. The council gave him companions, so that the errand should not fail. And you're the last of all the company. The errand must not fail. And he's like, ugh, like, I, how am I the last one? It's so, you know, it's ridiculous. Um, I'm sure to go wrong. And if it's, and it's not for me to go taking the ring, putting myself forward. But you haven't put yourself forward. You've been put forward. And as uh, for not being the right and proper person, why Mr. Frodo wasn't. And as you might say, nor Mr. Bilbo. They, they didn't choose themselves. And so he's like, you know, it's it's like a lot of back and forth with himself um, before finally deciding to take it. And he even apologizes to Frodo for having to leave him and for taking not only the ring, but he's like, okay, I have to take the file because mm. I'm pretty sure I'm going to need that. And I'm sorry, I have to take Sting too, but I'll leave you with mine. It's just so precious, you know. Um, and I understand, like, ta- you know... They 
I don't know. There's there's other things that I would suggest they cut so that they can mm-hmm. focus in. But <laughs> but you know they obviously cut some things for time and um, but I think that there could have been more fumbling with Sam. You know, or at least you know resolving to to go on because then we see him. He's going. He's struggling to take these steps away from Frodo. Yeah. Um, and and I think it's partially like he's carrying the ring for the first time, and that's hard. Um, but also I don't think he wants to leave Frodo. Like it says something all. like it goes against the grain of his being to mm-hmm. go on alone. And I think another beautiful yeah. thing about it is um, that Sam has to, you know, go through this decision making process on his own. In, in, in this dark place and um, he has to decide that he's worthy of taking the ring but um, because yeah. he's humble and all but I think what helps it is that it would be more selfish selfish not to take the ring like to let your own insecurities like get in the way of yeah you know doing the important quest yeah, I think it it says a lot about. I think we talk about this a lot, but I'm never gonna not talk about it. But like the way that, whenever you become a ring bearer, the moment like how you are in that moment, I think dictates a lot about how the ring affects you. And we are literally in Mordor at this point, mm. you know. And I know that it's later. Sam does get like a vision of what he might do with the ring. But even then, he he's able to like brush it off and be like, no, that's not that's not what I'm into. You know, I don't want slaves. I don't want people to be gardening for me. I want to do it. Um, which precious baby. Um, but you know, he he not only like his reluctance, but his putting Frodo first in this, I think, has a lot to do with how Sam, even in like the last leg of the quest when he has to take the ring and he doesn't even keep it for very long, but he does for a little bit. Um, I think is why he is even able to give it back mm. to Frodo later. For sure. Cause that's not, e- that's not easy to do. Like Isildur couldn't even throw it in the trash at, like five minutes after getting it. So the fact that Sam is able to be like, okay, like, you know, he gives it back. Yeah, because he's got uh, something more important, and that's Frodo. Yeah. It's Frodo! Damn it! (laughs) (laughs) I know, there is a part, oh, I wrote it down, but when he is, just thinking about that, when he is fighting Shelob, the way that he, Tolkien describes it, um, Oh, is it the fallen mate bit? Yes! Uh, No onslaught more fierce was ever seen in the savage world of beasts where some desperate small creature armed with little teeth alone will spring upon a tower of horn and hide that stands above its fallen mate. I know. I mean, it's like... What is love? (laughs) Yeah, it's just... I mean, he... As obviously so fiercely feeling for Frodo, you know, it, throughout 
all of this, you know? Um, yeah. Even when they're in the dark, you know, and, like, trying to hold hands, but they keep kind of losing each other, but then Sam shrinks back to Frodo. Like, he would rather stick next to Frodo than try to figure out, like, if, you know, because they don't want to get separated. Um, and so, you know, it is super duper hard for when Sam feels like he has to be separated from him. But, as we know, the orcs show up literally just as he starts to walk away. Mm. <laughs> and in that moment, he, um, he puts on the ring. Like, without even kind of really thinking about it. He just needs to get away, but there's nowhere to go. And I did think that the the description that they used was really interesting and I want to see what you all think about how it matches up with the way the movie presents wearing the ring like the way they do the different effects so it says the world changed and a single moment of time was filled with an hour of thought at once he was aware that hearing was sharpened while sight was dimmed but otherwise than in she loves lair all things about him now were dark, but vague, while he himself was there in a gray, hazy world, alone, like a small, black, solid rock, and the ring, weighing down his left hand, was like an orb of hot gold. He did not feel invisible at all, but horribly and uniquely visible, and he knew that somewhere an eye was searching for him. When I read that uh, today, I, I actually thought that they probably took inspiration from that for mm -hmm. when Frodo's wearing the ring. Um, yeah. This shadow, yeah, shadowy I mean, world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, they definitely do the eye thing a lot. Yeah. Um, but, like, the way that it's... Um, it always feels, like, super windy, like, windswept and, like, mm. unclear when he's wearing the ring. Which is interesting. I mean, I guess that's one way to do it. Um, and probably effects wise, maybe easier to do than to actually like turn down the, I don't know. I don't know with everything like dim around him, but, um, he can hear really well. Like he can hear the crack of stone and the murmur of waterfall far off in Morgul Vale. And you know, he's hearing all these things, which really throws him off later mm. when he's listening to the orcs and trying to follow them once they pick up Frodo. Um, and he even, like, right at the end, he gets in this passageway with them and he thinks that he's, like, right behind them. And he's obviously about to make a stand and, like, yell something. But then he realizes that they're, like, super far away and so he's, like, hoofing it to try to make it to the gate, but then it shuts right in front of him. And that's where Two Towers ends, is with Sam not being able to catch up with these orcs. Um, and he's just found out that Frodo is alive after all. Yes, it's... and he feels really stupid, and I feel really bad <laughs> for him. Because he's like, oh, like, oh, how does he say it? Like, he should have trusted his heart mm. not his head because his, like his head is like the worst of him or something yeah no. i know i'm like you why do you talk like this to yourself sam i feel like the gaffer i know treats you badly <laughs> because you're great you're amazing um but it's really interesting when he is listening to 
you know, these orcs. I feel like the only other time that we really get a long conversation between orcs is when we're with Pippin, mm-hmm. uh, when he's captured by the Urukai. And so we see it again here, but, you know, we got Mordor orcs. Um, and it's, uh, there was like a statement in it that made me think about how little we kind of know about orcs in Tolkien in general, but like particularly in here, um, there's a part, there are these two orcs that he's following, Gorbag and Shagrat. There's multiple, but these two are the ones that he's like listening in on that are obviously the ones that are like leaders of both of their little companies. Um, And they're talking about what they will do after the war if Sauron wins. And Gorbag, you know, they're talking about um, going off and like, you know, if we win, we'll go off and find a few trusty lads and we'll go somewhere where there's good loot, nice and handy and no big bosses. And Shagrite is like, ah, like old times. (laughs) I'm just like, all right, reminiscing about when there maybe wasn't a Sauron kind of interested to see if they use this at all for the rings of power orcs mm. like orcs with no boss just doing orc things you know what is like peak existence for an orc i mean you know, w- w- would point? that be a bit like the orcs in the hobbit that are just living in the mountain and looting yeah like they're going on a raid with the wolves Mm-hmm. just you know chilling eating and so on but um there's something uh you know but they go back and forth and they're talking but gorbag isn't convinced that, it's funny because gorbag is the one that like suggests what they would do if they win but it he's also like not convinced that sauron has the war in the bag um and how sauron and the nazgul are worried that something that has like nearly passed slipped past them um and because Sha- Shagrat, that's like something that Shagrat says that you know they're worried that like something slipped or something nearly slipped. And Gorbag is like, I say something has slipped, and we've got to look out. Always poor Uruks to put slips right and small thanks, but don't forget the enemies don't love us any more than they love him, meaning Sauron. And if they get topsides on him, we're done too. And you know something about this stood out to me. Um, it made me think that it's like, I know that generally we just kind of think of orcs as like inherently evil, but something about this passage, um, gives me the impression that these guys seem to feel more like stuck between a rock and a hard place. Like they were kind of born to be minions in a way, you know, and they clearly have a system set up for them to be nasty and warlike. I mean, you know, like they've got Sauron telling them what to do all the time, but this kind of makes me think that there's more to them you know like there may be this is more like out of survival at this point than anything you know they don't seem to particularly care about Sauron they don't care if he wins or loses or whatever but they're just worried that like if the rest of the world hates them then like you know what else are they supposed to do so obviously they're gonna go along with Sauron's thing um even though that sucks as well um and it just makes me think like if everyone's, I, I started like a whole debate in uh, 
this separate chat on the in the discord <laughs> about it um or it just makes me think like if everyone's memories were wiped like at that moment and they were like what are we doing here and they all had to start over i feel like orcs could just be like any other people at this point you know um or maybe i just like to think so but i think that there is like like an orc culture i think that the, you know they they clearly have autonomy and they're clearly not just like doing whatever they're told because they obviously deviate all the time from plans you know and are kind of looking out for themselves and you know obviously it's not you know Tolkien talks about how their language is kind of gross and like they're very selfish and they're very warlike and it's almost like but I feel like a lot of those things are learned yeah you know what I mean like if you took a baby orc which is implied that there would be because they're Tolkien in a letter said that there would be female orcs but like that's not this is like a war story so he didn't like go there you know but like if you had a baby orc and just like plot you know just kind of like or if it wiped everyone's memories I, I don't know i feel like i feel like there's kind of hope for orcs in in a way if you want to put it like that yeah i feel like it's left a bit vague yeah and because I, like these oh, these these orcs read like just people that don't like their jobs and it's monday again mm -hmm. yeah it is how it reads and one thing that <laughs> uh, i was talking to nick who I think his username is like fornost42 on TikTok, if anybody is going to follow Nick. Uh, but he was telling to me that I think there's a letter where uh, Tolkien was toying with the idea of maybe orcs are more like a derivative of men rather than like ruined elves. Um, because of the whole, like, I think the whole mortality thing it's an issue but also I don't think he ever like while in the Silmarillion they did choose to have Melkor having ruined orcs be the or ruined elves be the first orcs I don't think he ever really liked that answer I really think that there's like a part of him especially when you think about like the way he treats Gollum and when he has Sam thinking things about like the Haradrim about like would they not have rather stayed at home in peace I think there is like all these little signals of, like, Tolkien wanting to play with more, like, morally ambiguous characters and not having so many that are just, like, straight-up good or straight-up evil. I think Sauron is even kind of complicated in that way. Um, but, and, like, the bigger narrative for, like, Lord of the Rings, mm -hmm. it's not, a, like, an easy place to explore that. But I feel like it's there. I feel like the idea is there. I think just the fact that token went through so many options for uh where orcs come from or what are they like or do they have free will and all that i think i think just that shows that he wasn't sure how he wanted them to be or how they work in the narrative mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think that's hard to like because i don't think he any of the characters that he ha makes are you know, even, like, the Silmarillion or the gods, like, when you even have people or, like, characters like Melkor and Sauron, like, they're not evil in the beginning. Mm. It's just something, it's, like, something that they fall into, you know what I mean? Because of the way that they're... I don't know. I, I don't think it's always a given that they are 
they're gonna be evil no matter what you know it's just kind of how the story played out Mm -hmm. and i feel like that's kind of the same thing with orcs like but again it's there's so many of them and it's like it's definitely hard to like have this like a whole group that is just like you can just kill off without any kind of concern and like and I and I get why it's like that. Like Sauron doesn't care about them, you know. So he uses them like that. But there are things. I think it's like either Gandalf or Aragorn, and Two Towers that said that they even pity, they pity Sauron's slaves. And I would say that would go for orcs. Mm. So I think that they are even thinking about it in this way, you know. But like orcs having Sauron as like their boss. And he's kind of like set, like at any workplace, the boss kind of sets the example, right? Like it, it makes me think about how when Sauron was given the opportunity to repent after the whole Morgoth thing, he didn't. And one thing that I was talking about with, I think it was Chris from the Soul Hero, we were talking about how he, because, and we know that Sauron judges all hearts by, you know, the, his own. Uh, things about like lust for power and that kind of thing and I feel like when he was given that chance to repent he was probably like I have done so many horrible things there's no way that they're not just gonna like rip me to pieces you know what I mean like there's he couldn't even fathom the way that the Valar might reprimand him but it's like dude they're just gonna probably put you in the void for a big time out that's all they ever do to Melkor, and he's worse than you, so it's okay. And they even give Melkor a second chance, so I feel like he probably would have had a big timeout. Probably could have come back, but he doesn't give them that opportunity, and so continues to do bad things, because he... I don't know. It's sad. So that kind of makes reminds me of this passage where the, these guys are talking, where they're basically like, well, the rest of Middle-earth doesn't like us, so... What are we, like, Mm. there's no way that that could change, you know? Um, And I do think it would be hard. It would be probably a generational thing, you know? But I feel like someone like Aragorn would try. Do you know what I mean? To, like, let the orcs just, like, like, they'd probably just be like, just go somewhere else. Just don't bother anybody. Quit, you know, doing whatever, like. I just feel like he would, yeah. but we'll never know because orcs don't really give him a chance. Um, I think from just a movie viewer's perspective, I think the orcs do seem like they have no autonomy, that mm-hmm. they are beyond saving, and that they are just vessels of evil to help the big baddies do mm-hmm. their little do their little work. Um, yeah. And that they're just like ants, basically, to for for, for the service of Sauron. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Saruman. So. Yeah, I think that is it's the interesting to hear given. those other details about them. Yeah, it's. I do. I think that there's just more there that just doesn't get. It definitely doesn't get played out in the movie. But it reminds me also of like Gollum. There's like so many things about him that don't get to be explored. Um, and he, and the, I think there, that's even them, like, trying to show him as morally ambiguous, but I think he's, it's, like, less so, um, uh, than it could have been, but, 
you know, the orcs. And also, I think Peter kind of gets himself in trouble when he makes these battles so freaking huge all the time. <laughs> How come? There is no... You have to murder them all. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you... There's no way to win without just, like, getting rid of a huge amount of them. So they are treated like ants. But um, I think... I'm just saying, like, little thought... Ex- I think there's a little bit more to the orcs than movies would lead you to believe. And I'm not saying that they're, like, inherently good or anything. I'm not... I'm just saying that they're, you know, kind of products of their situation in a lot of ways. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not, like, an orc stan or anything. I'm just saying that I do think that there is more nuance to Tolkien and that it's lost in the movies. I think that's the whole point of this. Yeah. <laughs> just in general. Um, but is there any other thoughts that you had about the choices of Master Samwise or Shelob's Lair? Because we still have a little bit of Minas Tirith to get to. But I want to make sure that we fully cover off um, on Sam. I had some thoughts. I wrote some down. When I read these chapters again today, um, I wanted to follow uh, Sting and uh, the file of Galadriel. Because I think mm-hmm. uh, Sting changing hands in in Shelob's lair is like an important moment for Sam and Frodo. Mm. So Yeah, that's true. So just to backtrack a little bit, so when um when does he hand him Sting? Because um, I know he gives him the file in the the Shelob's lair when he's cutting the web. Uh when uh when Sam has thrown Gollum off and uh, he comes back to Frodo, who has been stung by Shelob, uh, Sting has fallen to the ground and Sam picks it up. Mm-hmm. And at first he's got his own sword and he's got Sting. Mm-hmm. He's got a sword in both hands. The file is in his pocket. And mm. and then uh, I think he stabs Shelob like in the eye or something. But then yes. before... And he cuts off her claw, one of her claws. Yes. But then before uh, Sam does the whole, uh, you know, stabbing upwards and Shelob bringing herself down on Sting, Sam drops his own sword and takes Sting with both hands. And mm. and I, to me, I've got, I've got a whole thing about this, but to me, that's Sam taking up the mantle of the hero because... Frodo is incapaci- incapacitated and like like Sam's journey up to this point has to has been to get the confidence and courage that he needs to become the hero at this point to take over from Frodo and like even when they reunite and Sam gives Sting and the ring back Frodo's mm-hmm. only task is to keep walking towards the mountain because he's all he can do is like bear the ring. So, mm. so it's like Sam's job to get him there. And yeah. I think like carrying the ring and carrying the ring over the border to Mordor is such an important moment for Sam. 
which is not at all in the movies. Yeah, it's we don't even know that he has it. It's just kind of like, surprise, they don't have the ring. It's great. Like, you know, um, I had it the whole time. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think that this is where you definitely see a shift in that dynamic. You know, we've talked about how Frodo, especially with Gollum in the book, has really tried to show Sam, you know, like, we got to be nice to Gollum. You know, we, he's definitely like the leader of the pack, you know, the way he speaks to Faramir um, and really, I think, gains Faramir's trust pretty quickly. And, and obviously Sam or Faramir gains Sam's trust pretty quickly, too. Um, but... Yeah, this is a moment where I think things do change for Frodo. I mean, things have been not great. Uh, and But now it's like they are... You, you kind of see the Papa Bear part come out of Sam when, when he goes finally goes back and it's like, oh, I should never have left your side, but... We'll see later, you know, when they're in the tower and Sam really has to figure out, like, how do we get out of here? You know, um, Sam starts making more decisions for how they can navigate to the mountain. And I think that's, you know, Sam, he is just so wonderful. He is such a great person. And he is always trying to do what's best for Frodo, you know, and Frodo at this point is going to, from now on, I think is going to be, I mean, he's spent in a lot of ways, you know, but I feel like Sam really draws his strength from his love for Frodo and trying to protect him. You know, I feel like there are a lot of people like that where it's like, you are tired and you are done, but you still have, task to do and i think that's true for both of them but Mm. for frodo i think it's it's more abstract now it's like saving the world you know what i mean like he knows that he has to do this thing in order to save all of his friends but it's not like so connected to them you know like but for sam it's like this i get frodo to you know what i mean i save frodo yeah and for frodo it's very internal like Mm-hmm. it's just him and the ring and Sam has to take charge of the external and like not just make food but make the decisions mm-hmm. uh, for 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 both of them yeah and it's I, I'll be interested to ex- explore that more as we get you know through Mordor mm-hmm. with these two um and how they do that in the movie. But yeah, I think this is um, moment one for Sam, where, you know, things start changing for the dynamic between these two. And I always think, and I think this is also, I don't know, maybe where Frodo realized, like he, we already know that he loves Sam. You know, he's already called him like his dearest hobbit. You know, when he was talking about Sam, like what hope is there that we ever shall complete this task and it's, it's funny because it's like sam doesn't need hope in that way he just needs frodo yeah. you know like as long as frodo's there he's got a motivation 
but Frodo, that's, that's it's slowly failing, you know, as far as keeping up spirits, you know, which who can blame him? That, you know, and so I think that this is like so we've got like a physical thing that happens to Frodo that's pretty rough, um, and then I think once he takes the ring back, things are just gonna get harder. Yeah, and and it's and it's just. It's crazy to think that Frodo was trying to cross the Anduin and get through and go do this by himself. Yeah, that would have gone differently. That would not have worked. I mean, even if Gollum did help him get this far, he would have been eaten. Yeah. We just saw, like... (laughs) So, yeah. Uh, That was your bad, Frodo. Sam forever. <laughs> it needs his Sam. I have, mm-hmm. I have a random question. I don't want right. to like go on too much of a tangent because I do want to talk about Boromir's crazy dad. Um, but where or who had Sting before Bilbo? So Bilbo found it as well as um. Gandalf finds his sword, Orcris, and I can't remember Thorin's sword, but it's his Orcris brother sword. They find that in a troll horde in The Hobbit. When they are, so they defeat the trolls, and then they're like, well, there's if there are trolls here, then maybe they had stuff. So they go find their stuff and kind of see if anything's good, and they find those three swords that are and they're all supposed to glow blue. They're all like these fancy elven swords. And I think, but like, the ones that get turned like, to stone. Yeah, those okay. girls. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good, so good. they had all this good stuff, and they actually bury some of the gold. And that's some of the gold that like Bilbo ends up living off of later. Um, but yeah, he gets it from there. And I think a lot of people like to think that, you know, along with the other fancy swords that. Bilbo's was probably made in Gondolin as well um, with, you know, in the first age when elves were really doing the most as far as making things. And who I think I was joking with somebody uh, about how because they were like saying calling Sting like a letter opener for an elf. And I'm like, well, it's probably bigger than that. You know, like, it's child size. Not really but I was like, but why would they make a letter opener that can detect if orcs are nearby? <laughs> but then it was like, have you seen the gates to Gondolin? They're, like, so extra. <laughs> so, elves be extra in the first age. So, they're probably making everything, like, you know, like, everywhere they lived, not everywhere, but a lot of the places they lived were all fortresses. You know, they're all, like, hunkering down to stay out of more you know so morgoth can't get to them and making pretty things at the same time they did the most got it yeah yeah that, that's elves it's for you for you <laughs> because by the third age you know a lot of them are leaving middle earth the ones that are still there just kind of like chilling you know um i mean you've got folks like galadriel and elrond who are still like concerned about the state of the world but for the most part they know that their part to play is over yeah. Yeah. So Sting uh, has a mysterious background, but it's definitely elvish, and somehow ended up in a troll horde. 
about 60 years before this. And who knows for how long it was with them, you know? So, I'm sure somebody has a good thought on, like, a theory somewhere about the, the travels of Sting. But that's how it ends up with Bilbo. Just lucky chance, if chance you want to call it. Yeah. <laughs> Anna, do you have any other thoughts about this section? Nope. Let's talk about Boromir's crazy dad. Okay. Because he'd be cray. Because he'd be um, wildin'. Yeah, so in this part, we see Denethor. So he had previously on uh, the last time we saw Denethor sending Faramir away uh, to be like, you need to go protect Osgiliath. And Gandalf is like, Faramir, your dad loves you. He'll remember it before the end. And Faramir's like, yeah, fucking right. And obviously, uh, doesn't go great. Because, you know, you have the Witch King leading the army of Mordor to come kick their booties. So, Faramir, so Gandalf and uh, some more soldiers, like at the very last second, Denethor sends some cavalry members, including like Prince Imrahil uh, from the south, to go help Faramir and his uh, army. But... And Gandalf does the same thing with the light, you know, with uh, that we see him do earlier in the movie. He does that again and, like, gets the Nazgul to back off for a minute because they're not ready for that. And Prince Imrahil is the one who carries uh, Faramir into the city. But in the book, in the movie, they just have Faramir. He's, like, stuck to his horse and he's, like, being dragged and he's... But basically, same, same. He's... Po- he was hit by a poison dart. He... It's not looking too good. Denethor is just like, he's dead. It's the end of my line. Like, in the book, he gives Faramir a little bit more time. because He assumes that he's dying. And he's like, I'm just going to sit here and wait and see if he says anything before he dies. And he... I mean, but ultimately, I feel like Denethor is pretty book accurate. I mean, like, I tried to make an argument previously that he was, like, chiller, but he cray. <laughs> He's crazy. <laughs> and I think it's implied that he checked the Palantir at one point during this in the Siege of Gondor. And he based and I'm sure that Sauron told him, like, dude, you're so fucked. Like there's no out for you. And so he believes it in which is wrong. Yeah. Um why would you, why would you listen to Sauron? He's a big fat liar. So he basically loses all hope. I'm pretty sure that Denethor has been, like, a little crazy since his wife died. Um, you know, so now Boromir's gone. He was, he, he has, does say that he has, like, acts like he has some remorse. Um, he talks about how, uh, it's on page 805. Let's pull it out. But basically, he feels bad for sending Faramir to Osgiliath. And I'm like, wow, should have thought about that earlier. Um, You know, he's... I sent my son forth, unthanked, unblessed, out into needless peril, and here he lies with poison in his veins. Nay, nay, whatever may now be tied in war, my line too is ending. Even the house of the stewards has failed. And I'm like... 
wow. I mean, yeah, it is your fault, but he's not even dead yet, so. And he's not even using his remorse to make it better. He's just using his remorse as fuel to his fire. Know, as he, he, makes, <laughs> he makes everything about him. Like, everything. Like, even when um, he's talking to Gandalf and Pippin is, like, afraid that uh, you know, he... he thinks that um Pippin is like oh my god because Gandalf implies that you know there's like they're being led by somebody terrible and he's like Pippin is like oh my gosh like the Dark Lord himself is coming and Denethor is like no um he he will not come save only to triumph over me when all is one he uses others as his weapons so do all great lords if they are wise a master halfling or why should i sit here in my tower and think and watch and wait spending even my sons for i can still wield a brand he stood up and cast open his long black cloak and behold he was clad in mail beneath and girt and i'm like dude so you're dressed for battle <laughs> and you're sitting there up in your tower being a total douche like why why even dress up you know mm. um but Gandalf definitely teases him about it later because he's like he says he you know however that may be the captain of despair does not press forward yet he rules rather according to the wisdom that you have just spoken from the rear driving his slaves and madness on before i'm like yeah yeah, Denethor, you're following the model of the Witch King. Good job. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's all Solid about choice. Denethor always. But I think we know a lot of men like that. And he's even like, oh, Sau Sauron will triumph over me. Like, Sauron doesn't even care about you, dude. <laughs> he's just trying to get rid of everybody. It's not, it's not about you. You were just easy. You're just Because you had a plant here. Yeah. Um, and there is one thing that uh, the the line that they change when he says, you know, better to die sooner than later for die we must in the movie. In the book, he is responding to one of his, um, a messenger from like lower in the city. He says, the first circle of the city is burning, Lord. What are your commands? You are still Lord and steward. Not all will follow Mithrandir meaning Gandalf. Men are flying from the walls and leaving them unmanned. Why? Why do the fools fly? said Denethor. Better to burn sooner than late, for burn we must. And so this is when he's like starting to be like send orders to build his pyre. And I'm like, saying burn just sounds even more unhinged than to die. Yeah. Personally. A little bit of Game of Thrones vibes. But Obviously, Tolkien did it first. There's no dragon, but you get it. Uh, <laughs> he's just like, I'm going to set my son and myself on fire. Cool, cool. Um, he releases Pippin from his service a little bit earlier um, in the book, but I think it works the way that they play it out in the movie. I just feel like Denethor is unhinged, and uh, he feels unhinged in the movie and the book in a similar fashion. You know? Yeah. And Pippin is just like, what? Like, when he says, um, and then you also have, like, the cut character of Baragond, who uh, is one of the other 
captains or you know soldiers that Pippin met early on when he first entered the service of Denethor and he runs into him when he is leaving the um basically like the halls of the dead like the place where they put all the tombs of the kings but they're gonna build a pyre for Denethor and Faramir and he's like Aragorn do not let anybody set these people on fire and he's like I'm not supposed to go in there like there's rules and he's like okay well either you stick to your stupid rules or you try to save your boy Faramir that's such a Pippin Um, thing as well yeah I, I love it that he's finally able to like he's like oh my gosh you know Pippin is kind of alone for the first time in a while and things are just like straight up chaos for him I feel like Mary has it easier at this point even yeah he might be not later but at, right now Mary's okay um and Pippin is just like we're under attack like Gandalf is busy it's just up to me to save this guy um and so he's gotta trot down and and find Gandalf who is obviously leading the fray um and so we come to the part where Gandalf stands off, has his little standoff with the Witch King. Um, and I love the way it is described in the book. And I think it's, you know, honestly, if I'm if for real, it's pretty close as dialogue wise in the movie um, where you've got the, like the things that they say to each other, like about how, um, you know, going back to the abyss and the Witch King telling Gandalf to die now. Uh, but I do think it is slightly different in how he enters. And I do like it because um, you see, like we just talked about how he's leading from the rear. But he shows up when they've got Grand, our nice uh, fancy battering ram that they've made to open the gates to Minas Tirith. You know, it's shaped like a wolf's head. He's got like fire in his mouth. He looks very cool in the movie. Um, Fun fact, Grand is the name of Melkor's hammer that he used to fuck people up in the Silmarillion. So Sauron's like, love that name. Let's bring it back. (laughs) So yeah, so Grand is now a battering ram rather than a hammer. But sure. Um, And it is said to have had spells of ruin on it. And so the, and I think the Witch King clearly like plays a part in how those spells work because he does his like horrible sound that the Ringwraiths make three times. And the, each time Grand hits the door three times. Um, And then it bursts asunder as if stricken by some blasting spell. So I feel like probably did, probably did some magic some sorcery he is the witch king um and then he walks in to the city he's he's it literally says he's walking over dead bodies he's he's on a horse and he's not on a fell beast at this time he's on a horse one of like the horses from mordor um and he and the way it describes him walking in it says in rode the lord of the nazgul under the archway that no enemy ever yet had passed and all fled before his face all save one There waiting, silent and still, in the spaces before the gate, sat Gandalf upon Shadowfax. Shadowfax, who alone among the free horses of the earth endured the terror, unmoving, steadfast as a graven image in Rathdenen. And Rathdenen is like the name of the the road where all the dead kings are, where Faramir is about to be burned. So, it's like cemetery 
graven image. He's like a stone stone statue. He's not moving an inch. Um, and so, like we talked about, the dialogue is very similar. You know, like the you cannot enter here. Go back to the abyss prepared for you. But before uh, the Witch King responds, it says, The Black Rider flung back his hood, and behold, he had a kingly crown, and yet upon no head visible was it set. The red fires shone between it, and the mantled shoulders vast and dark. For a mouth unseen, from a mouth unseen there came a deadly laughter. And he's like, old fool, this is my hour. Do you not know death when you see it? You know? And I'm like, ooh. Spoopy. <laughs> I'm just like, this would be good animated, I feel like. She's got the head. Or you got the crown. But, but I mean, we've talked about how, how a wraith works. You know, they don't have a physical body really anymore. Like, they can put on clothes that give them a shape. But they are so you know they've like wasted away until they're basically only in the spirit realm now um not so much the physical but obviously enough to like kind of hold it i don't know it's they're very spoopy they're very ghosty um so he's got a crown and you can just see all the devastation on there and Gandalf doesn't even flinch, but in the movie, he, like, they have him break his staff, and he falls off Shadowfax, but no, like, they're just both sitting there like, okay, bring it, you show us what you got, but at that moment, um, away behind the courtyard, there's a cock crows, um, and then as if in answer, horns, and Rohan had come at last, and that's how the chapter ends, and it's so good um so that's basically exactly the moment that i stopped watching the movie is when the horn you hear the horns but you haven't turned to see the rohirrim yet mm. that description just, of of gandalf and the witch king um with the whole black and white reminds me of like chess queens <laughs> just facing off across the board yeah and I think we've we've made references to chess. I think it was to Baragond in the book and Gandalf in oh, the movie where yeah. it's like the board is set. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, literally, mm. they're about to make their moves. Um, and it, it's interesting. I, I just wish, I'm like, why do you have to make Gandalf fall over and, like, break his staff in the movie? He's such a badass. Because Peter is adding drama everywhere except where I want it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why is that true? <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, any any thoughts about the Witch King Anna or like the standoff between? I mean, like, I always want more Witch King. I am very disappointed that that full sequence, you know, couldn't have been in the movie. Um, I would have loved for him to walk instead of flying up on his. Like, I get it. You probably spent a good chunk of money on your fancy fell beast. Yeah. But I do like the fell beast too. Like, I want to see more of that. They're there. They're around. They're they've been doing things, you know. But I think it would have been really cool to see him. Like, I know that they've kind of again Peter amplifies everything, so they've already kind of like are retreating from the first circle. Um, and they and they could even still do that, but when. Grand opens that door like they have it be a like a troll thing but I think it should just 
burst open and like he basically kind of puts a spell on everybody too to where like they can't none of the soldiers are able to like move um and they or they drop their weapon and they're just kind of like there yeah exactly and i would have loved for him to do that and like just walk in and like as if he's like he's like what are you gonna do you know and gandalf is like sass is it he's like go back to the abyss he's like no thank you didn't order any of this and (laughs) you know then he has the and also he having him does he have a sword that with flames running down the blade i don't remember that in the movie i think i would have written it down but i didn't i literally just watched it i don't remember if he actually does that but just the whole visual of them like not you know, they're both kind of, like, calling each other's bluff, I feel yeah. like. They're fronting each other. Because, like, you know from previous dialogue that Gandalf is kind of worried about the Witch King. Like, the Witch King isn't a Maya, obviously. Like, he's not Gandalf's type of being. Like, Sauron technically is. But he has had a lot of time to be doing a lot of evil things. Um, and so I think Gandalf is kind of worried about it, but I love that he, he says that previously, but then when it's time, he is unflinching. He's just, he doesn't, he does not move. It's what it says. You know, he's just like, he's not unfazed, trying to be unfazed, you know, who knows what would have happened if, you know, Rohan hadn't shown up right at that moment, but, Mm. um, Rohan forever. (laughs) (laughs) they're the best (laughs) but that's how the the chapter ends and you know and that's where my notes end as well (laughs) um any i know we've been talking for a little bit but just a little bit (laughs) any any final thoughts on this one i think i'm probably gonna have to I feel like just the way the movie is doing it, um, we're definitely going to get to the right of the Rohirrim next time. Obviously, we're hearing them show up in this last scene and the Battle of the Pelennor Fields, um, which is, you know, the right of the Rohirrim is something that's largely cut out of the movie. Um, It's how they get around the orcs to make it to the Pelennor Fields. And the Battle of the Pelennor Fields is obviously what's about to happen right now um, in the movie. and I'm assuming that we're probably also going to see some more of Frodo and Sam, but um, they're getting close, right? They're getting pretty close, but their chapters don't come until in a little bit into Return of the King, so we might have to do some rearranging again. But otherwise, that's what we're going to see next time. so thank you both so much for being here obviously if you have any additional thoughts let me know and we'll bring everyone back to talk more Frodo and Sam because I think I mean we're getting down to the wire like things are happening you know Um, the moment mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so uh, Edith do you want to let people know where they can find you or what you've got going on. Uh, I, I'm on I'm on TikTok as Hobbit Hot Takes. I haven't been very active, but 
I have a lot of videos of all of the rings and a few videos on YouTube as, as well. That's it. Perfect. Yeah. You have a, some incredibly wonderful takes about Frodo and Sam. So Thanks. feel free to come back anytime we talk about them. Dude, I also have to... passions about it. I can yeah. tell. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. <laughs> They're the best. The best, Anna. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm not trying to. <laughs> <laughs> okay, awesome. Thank you guys so much, and we will see you soon. <laughs>